Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello and welcome to Off The Beaten Track Podcast. How are you all doing? I'm your host, I'm Stu Whiffin. It's another week, therefore it's another episode. And it's another episode recorded in lockdown. So this episode, I was absolutely thrilled to get to sit down with the legend that is Mike Batt. And for those of you that um, may not be aware of Mike's work, then I'll just give you uh, a couple of little sort of heads up. Like Mike discovered and wrote... Uh, much of the uh, early material for Katie Melua. Mike wrote Bright Eyes, Winter's Towel. The list goes on. Um, And we discuss a lot of that on today's episode. Uh, We discuss lots of things around the art of songwriting. Uh, And what's really good about this is the first time this has happened on any episode, Mike was sitting at his piano. So to kind of uh, help things along, if, if, if we was talking about introductions and things like that, then, then Mike would sit at the piano and play, which was great, and a, an absolute first for Off The Beaten Track. Um, so before I get on with it, um, just a big thanks to Scroobius Pip and everybody at the Distraction Pieces Network. Um, a huge thanks to 76, because we're recording these podcasts remotely, so um, how we do that is we, we, we chat on Skype, but we both have microphones going into separate recorders, and then... Uh, the guest emails over their, their audio, and then I've got my audio, and then 76 glues it together, so it, it sounds like a studio recording. It's as if you'd never know we was on uh, other ends of the planet. Um, okay, also, if you uh, haven't checked the back catalogue of Off The Beaten Track, I suggest you do, because there's a, a big stack of amazing episodes with just some cracking guests. I mean, in the recent weeks, we've had Andy Bell of Oasis and Riot, we've had LaRue... Uh, we've had idols, and and that that's just in the recent weeks. You've you've got over a hundred episodes to go and get stuck into, and if that's not enough, there's unique episodes, video episodes, and such on my Patreon account. Um, put out an episode every week over there, um, and there's. Well, I'll tell you what, the best thing to do if you just head to um, www.offthebeatentrackpodcast.com, it explains everything there. It's got links to everything over there. So um, why not go and have a a little look over there. And if you're still searching for some extra podcasts during lockdown, then may I suggest you go to podbiblemag.com. Now, Podbible is the magazine put together by myself, Scroobius Pip and Adam Richardson, and it's the UK's um, only podcast magazine. Uh, it's a print magazine and a digital magazine, and you can go over 
on the aforementioned web address and read it online and, and order a copy to your front door for just the price of an envelope and a stamp. And it's the ultimate guide for all things podcast. That's podbiblemag.com. Anyway, enough of that. Let's get back to today's episode. Please enjoy Off the Beaten Track podcast with the wonderful Mike Bat. I've got an announcement. Save Our Souls Clothing, www.sosclothing.co.uk. Why am I telling you this? Because they're our official sponsor. Yeah, that's right. Go and check them out because their clothing is off the scale. You're going to love it. So they've decided they want to be our sponsor, which is amazing. And what I have to do is I have to tell you about why they're amazing. So here's a little bit of blurb. So they've only been going a year. And they're based in South End on Sea, just up the road from me. They put the company together based on a, a love of tattoos and alternative music. And they've worked with some of the greatest artists around the world to produce these items of clothing that are as unique as you lot. All of the designs are printed using biodegradable, sustainable and water-based inks. And in addition to that, they only print on garments made by members of Fairwear Foundation. I mean, come on, great clothing and a conscience. Since going live in April last year, they've seen their audience grow massively and are now selling orders all across the world. And they were recognised by Cosmopolitan magazine as one of the best sustainable clothing brands alongside names such as Stella McCartney. I mean, that's quite a first year, right? So, go and check them out because they've put a lot of love into supporting this podcast and I couldn't be happier. What else they've done is they've given you 15% off. So if you head over to www.sosclothing.co.uk, do a bit of shopping, see what you like, throw it in the basket, and then on the way out, put in the discount code BEAT15, B-E-A-T-1-5, and that'll save you 15% off. Amazing, right? www.sosclothing.co.uk official sponsors of Off The Beaten Track podcast. Let's get back to that podcast. It's Off The Beaten Track podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. With me, Stu Whipping. Hello and welcome to Off The Beaten Track podcast. Uh, joining me today remotely via the means of WhatsApp um, is Mike Bat. Hello. How are you? How are you, Stu? Very, very well, thanks. Thanks for having me. Thanks for having me. Oh, well, thanks ever so much for uh, giving up your time to do this. Um, how are you finding uh, your times being spent in this, this current climate of, of lockdown? Funnily enough, I work home. I w- uh, sorry. Funnily enough, I work from home often enough that mm. pretty much most of the time, except when I'm in sessions or going to meetings... Um, going into town to go to meetings is more of a bore than it is a pleasure. Yeah. Um, although, it, obviously, there's the social aspect and, you know, having lunch with someone just to sort of, you know, catch up with them, that sort of thing you can't do. Yeah. Um, the, the professional thing I can't do is sit, is go to a studio with a rhythm section or an orchestra and make a record or, yeah. or a singer. Um, so that part of it's hard, I, but sitting here, writing songs, arranging, I'm becoming much more proficient at using my own re- personal recording stuff yeah. than I ever was before. 
um, I always used to either have a, an engineer, um, you know, in the, the good old days, a few years ago, two or three years ago, uh, I used to have a full-time engineer, you know, at, at, at the house and uh, where the, the comp company was. Um, now, I would normally have called my, my son, whose name is Luke, uh, and he has a, a band which he's actually enjoying quite a little bit of success with called Superheart at the moment. And um, he's, he's very good at engineering because he grew up in a recording studio, which was at home. Sure. But I, I've always been, although I mix my own stuff, I don't, um, I, I'm more of an arranger producer, musician type mm. producer, as opposed to an engineer producer. But this uh, lockdown has made me have to look at things like, you know, instead of bringing someone in to look after the recording or the levels and all that, I, I have to do it myself. And when you have to do it yourself, you do do it yourself. And so I'm learning uh, all this software that I don't usually use. I think that's, that's, that's really interesting that you say that because I'd, I'd, just, just through looking on social media and, and, and seeing how a lot of television shows are now being made because nothing's generally pre-recorded now that they're having to use the technology that's available to do these kind of things like we're recording now over yeah. over WhatsApp and Zoom and, and, and the like. And I think we're going to see a real, real interesting positive outcome from this awful scenario that, that 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 we're currently finding ourselves and i think a lot of creative people are going to be thinking of other ways and means to kind of get get their their stuff out there and i think we could see a, a real boom in some some exciting stuff yeah i mean i for example had been planning to do and am planning to do a, another studio album as an artist you know i thought to myself yeah well just because you get to be, become an old git doesn't mean you stop being an artist so of course why not make another studio album instead of just putting out a Greatest Hits, which is what I have done, uh, or am doing at the moment, putting out this um, double album thing. But um, what about after that? And yes, I'm making a new album, but I've been thinking, okay, let's get a record company to finance it, or shall I try and work out how we do that ourselves, mm. or whatever we do. From now on, what I'm thinking is, this lockdown, I mean, God forbid it should last longer than we think it's going to, but let's say it does, and... Uh, you know, let's say in an imaginary situation, there was another six months of it. I don't want to not be able to make any records for six months. So I would um, take the challenge up and just do it all here. I'd do it on GarageBand or Logic or yeah. something like that. And um, in fact, I did a record recently, uh, which, which came out of uh, this lockdown live situation. I know everybody's doing it, but I do one at uh, nine o'clock on Wednesdays uh, on Facebook. And um, it's fun. I just play requests and sing at the piano for an hour. And uh, last week, or a couple of weeks ago, I said to everyone, why, don't everyone, why doesn't everyone just send me words? We call it hashtag challenge bat. It had a nice ring to it. So we did that. And the idea was that they should send me words that I would then incorporate in a song and sing the following week. And, of course, everybody sent me anti-disestablishmentarianism. <laughs> of uh, course. <laughs> uh, Loxy-noxy nihilipilification was another one of them. Uh, but there were some nice ones. I and mean, somebody sent a word, the word Wormtown, which I hadn't heard. But apparently it's, an, it's a word that applies to Worcester for some reason. I don't know. I Wormtown. Think yeah, I think Worcester-type people, people who live in Worcester, call it Wormtown for some reason. They so are, they, are, are people that live in Worcestershire worms? 
Is, is that what they refer to themselves? I think there might be a man called Mr. Worm who decided it should be called... <laughs> no, honestly, because I got an email from a bloke who calls himself the mayor of Wormtown. <laughs> anyway, the fact is, I, I didn't know that, but I just thought, thought the word was good, so I invented mm. this place in my mind called Wormtown and wrote a song which actually can, does contain the word floxy noxy mihili floxy noxy nihili pilification um, and, and the, a few of the other trippy words, trippy up words, but it is a, quite a trippy song because you can imagine with all those words, it's weird words, it's going to sound uh, kind of psychedelic. Of course. And um, my, another lockdown uh, aspect to it is that my daughter, who's a bass player, is usually based in L.A., uh, she's living here with me and my wife uh, in our little house here, um, we're all locked down together, the three of us, and she's very good at doing art. So she's done me an art work, and then she made me a little animation um, YouTube thing. So it's released, and it's called, um, the, it's called Welcome to Wormtown. And I know I'm going on a lot about this, but I suppose that's the whole purpose of talking, is to impart information. But I suddenly thought, Okay, piano and vocal of this is fine, but I'd really like a trad jazz band on it, like a New Orleans thing, you know, uh, a bit like the way Paul Simon used to use um, those kind of things and uh, Randy Newman, those mm. traddy kind of jazz things. So um, I rang Dominic Glover, a friend of mine who's a very, very top trumpet player, and I did a lot of work with Katie Melio with him. <clears throat> and he said, oh, yeah, we'll do that, no problem. Uh, it's, it's going to be for charity anyway, uh, NHS download thing. And uh, he said, you know, he's sitting at home in his studio writing, mainly writing these days, doing a bit of playing as well. But he said, just, to, just nice to do some playing. So send it over and I'll put trumpet on it. So I sent him a chord sheet, I sent him the track. Um, I did the same with uh, Ben Castle, the clarinetist, son of Roy Castle. He's actually a sax, plays all the saxes, brilliant musician. Same with the tr trombonist. So I, suddenly they all sent me their parts and I had a trad jazz band on my record. Fantastic. You know, and then I was, just happened to be talking to Chris Spedding the next day and I was, told him about this story. He said, I don't suppose you want a banjo on it, do you? And I said, funny you should say that. It would be great with a banjo. So I sent him the track, and now I've got Chris Bedding playing banjo on my silly little psychedelic Wormtown track. Wonderful. So it's just fun that, the, the, as you say, the, um, the, the constraints of, of being uh, locked in, locked down, uh, have given rise to um, what always happens when there's an obstacle in the way. You find a way around it. Of course. Or over it, or up under it. Brilliant. Well... Mike, I generally start this podcast um, yeah. by asking guests um, that the, the first track um, I ask them to tell me is the song that they they think has the greatest ever intro. Can you remember what you sent over for that one? Yeah, I think I might have sent you um, "Reach Out, I'll Be There." You did, you did. Yeah. Um, am I at the piano? I am at the piano. Um, Da, da, dee, da, 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 da. Is that? Uh, will it go on? Um, uh, wait for the power. But it's that. Um, it's that. It's just exciting. Um, a lot of those Motown's. In fact, there's a couple of them. Those Motown ones. I had difficulty picking 
I mean, I went straight to this one. It's one of my favourite records anyway. So... Uh, that that's so evocative and you know yeah uh, and and it's nothing to do with the song early yeah. you feel that you can't go on those arrangers um what was his name i'll forget now because it's i'm in a doing a podcast so i'm bound to forget it i'm trying to think of uh riser paul riser um who was a young trombone player uh, in the um uh, in that community of uh, the early Motown uh, people, and they he started to push to be doing arrangements. And one day they gave him an arrangement to do. They realised he was brilliant, and he did all of those Smokey Robinson ones, like. Um, uh, you know, Tears of a Clown. Tears of a Clown, yeah, of course. So that's Paul Reiser, and, and that I'm sure he must have done. I don't. I haven't got it on absolutely strict 100% authority that he did uh, reach out. I'll be there, but it sounds like him. It's the piccolo that makes. Yeah. yeah. I was going to ask you what what is that instrument at the the, the, the opening chords? Yeah, I think it's a piccolo. It could be an it could be a flute playing an octave higher, because that's mm. what effectively a piccolo is. A piccolo is pitched so that it, when it plays a C, say. It plays an octave above the flute. Oh, okay. I never knew that. Yeah. Um, so if you get a flute playing an octave higher than it, the note, actually playing, then it, it's sometimes hard to tell it from a piccolo. Sure. Hmm. But anyway, that's just a sort of muso thing. But I want to stick on that, um, the muso side of things. And, and for somebody that has been um, writing music for, for you know a few decades now... Um, Mark, I'm, I'm interested to know when you first started writing music, um, how important the intro was to have a, a pop hit when you first started to, to now, you know, your considerations for, for radio airplay and things like that. How much do you think the intro has been key in, in pop music over the decades? And do you think it's changed in the way that, people listen i know i've loaded you with a few questions there but i generally want to get a feel for how you've seen you know the way that songs are structured in pop music has changed over the years and 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 specifically specifically the intro yeah well you've got two hurdles to get over when you're writing stuff or producing stuff for broadcast one is the production production office you know the producer himself the playlist in other words he puts it on He's got loads of records, and if it doesn't turn him on straight away, he might never listen to it again. So, very often, if you've got an up-tempo record with 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 a shortish intro that they can talk over, but that's that just tastes is a taster, then that can be something that imme- immediately grabs them, even if you haven't got to the chorus yet. Um, it's a long. I could talk for two hours about this, um, but but so you you. First of all, got to get to the producer, and but the producer, of course, is very skillful at thinking about how it gets to the audience, and it's a similar thing. You put it on the radio, and immediately it comes in, and as a, you think, "Wow, that's my favourite record." Yeah. Um, and so it is important, but it's also just as valid. I mean, to use rather a pretentious word, it's just as valid to have a just a guitar going boom, dun, dun, 
And then the verse starts, or the chorus. Um, it, depend, it, it depends what atmosphere you want to create. But certainly there is a theatricality to, to a... There's a challenge, and of course it depends on the era. We're talking about way back now. If you did that same intro now uh, on a modern record, um, they might think, it, well, it's just not of now, so it, it sounds a bit old-fashioned. I don't know, but I'm, a lot of it's down to just writing something that you think sets the song up. In my case, I, I do like to write instrumental hooks um, I mean, you, you can't get much more of an intro than... You know, that's that, uh, Bright Eyes immediately, that oboe tune. And I've, I've sort of been characterised as somebody who used uses the oboe a lot. Or well, I, I, I characterised myself, I suppose, by using the oboe a lot. People went, ah, that's obviously a Mike Pat arrangement. That's not true, actually, because there's an awful lot of people used it, like Honey Bus with, uh, I can't... I can't let Maggie go. Um, a lot of the um, records by the, the uh, oh, what were they called? Um, damn it! <laughs> it's just because we're talking on a transmission that I can't think of it. Um, anyway, a lot of records have used oboe, uh, and I've, I sort of gave up using it ages ago because I became so known for using it. But um, it is a good way. Get, having a sound that catches your ear and draws you in is um is a useful thing to do to set a record up so how have you found like the the the, the, the changes with the way that people listen in so far as things like spotify and and streaming services do you, do you whereas i guess historically maybe they had a bit more freedom on radio now and, and i find that maybe this is my personal kind of take on it with spotify and YouTube and all of these means where there's constant distractions on, on, on the homepage. If you might like this, you might like this. Um, you know, it's tailored mm. very much at the single rather than the album and the track, you know, yeah. and, and the way with iTunes now, people don't necessarily buy albums as an album, as a body no. of work. They cherry pick the tracks. So. No, and not only that, they don't have time to, li even if they did buy them, they haven't got time to listen to them because it's a such a fast-moving world with so much media coming at you from social media to Spotify to, you know, television and radio. There's so, so much to choose from that the idea of sitting down and actually listening all the way through a record, which, you know, is... I certainly certainly used to do, and when I was, you know, first, well, we all used to, you know. Um, do you do you still do you still write your, your your albums to be listened to as a body of work, as a complete piece of art? I, I usually go further than that. I design them as pieces of. I know again, this is going to go almost Sood's corner, really, but. Um, I used to draw a little mountain range of my albums. I used to get an exercise book, and I used to turn it upside down. I mean, I, I know people can't see this on the broadcast, on the uh, what's the name um, spot on the on the podcast, but just to show you, I would get I would get a, an exercise book like that, turn it sideways so that the, the stripes are going up, and then each of those stripes would would be a minute, and I knew you could cut twenty minutes uh, on vinyl. So I'd go 20, uh, and each of those would be a minute. So I knew that my first song was going to have to be, say, three minutes. The second one might have be a bit of a 
um, an orchestral link. Uh, then there might be, a, a, and that might, so I might put down tempo on the front and up tempo on the second one. Not quite as arbitrarily as that. I mean, I'd be planning it like a piece of theatre. I used to do that. Um, and it was, of course, That's nice. That's fascinating. Sorry? That's fascinating. Yeah, and, and, I, and I, I, I used to end up, because I'm a bit of a doodler, I would, um, let's say I'm at, at song five, and I know it's a great big crescendo there. I'd put like a little mountain, big mountain there, and I'd maybe doodle on it and put a little snowy cap on it. And I know that that's song three, and it's all about, um, you know, whatever it's about. And there's a little picture of a face of a clown, if it's about a clown, you know, whatever it might be. And so I had a drawing of the album side. And the reason I say 20 minutes is, you, yes, you could cut 22, 23, 24 minutes on a side if you really wanted to. But for every, I think it was, it was a rule, every minute over 20 minutes that you cut, you went down half a dB in level. Something like that. Okay. Okay. Long answers. You should answer, ask, ask shorter questions. And I'll <laughs> uh, for track two, I want to know, Mike... Um, what the first song was that had an emotional impact on you? Oh, I'm going to have to guess my answers now. I should find the questionnaire. It'd be so much easier, wouldn't I? I can, I can give you a heads up. Um, you, um, you, you said discounted nursery rhymes and kids' songs. Um, I discounted those, yeah. Yeah. Um, hard to know when the clock starts on this. Um, discounting stuff like 78s, like George Formby. So um, going with... With, with what I guess I, I look for is, is, is kind of uh, pop records. Um, you said it would either be um, one of two tracks by Roy Orbison. Can you remember what they would have been? Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, um, again, I, I don't know why I went for Blue Bayou. It's just got that... I, I think it's partly to do with his voice. I'm going back someday. You know, it's almost like a hurt. There's some hurtness in his voice. I know you, it's not a word, but... It is now. Um, Roy Orbison had that kind of really, and really sort of evocative, hurt voice. And um, but it, I think going back someday, come what may, to Blue Bayou. I mean, just as a record, which in those days, of course, were vinyl seven inches, and they smelt like vinyl, and they were, you could touch them and feel them and everything. That I, I, going through the local. Um, shop and finding that uh that would be a, a moment but again and how old would you have been sorry how old would you have been mike 12 something like and that what was that um, and what was the emotion that you felt from hearing that a kind of um well wonder at this wonderful sound coming out just just that um the uh something that came off the voice that was just uh melancholy uh, a, a sort of ro just a romantic melod uh, melancholy which w their song is also about going back and it's therefore got something to do with um, uh, nostalgia yeah it, it, there was a nostalgia to it but there's another one that would definitely compete for it with compete with that it's another Roy Orbison track, and it's one that meant a lot to me at the time. It's it's over, and 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 again talking of intros, uh, that uh, it, let me see what was it like uh, something like. Uh, uh, 
da 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 you felt something exciting was going to happen, uh, but I know you're not. Sandy, it sounds urgent, doesn't it? Yeah, da 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 dong, dong, You think, ah, oh, he's going to say, golden, different key, because you know, of my voice. Golden days before they end, you know. Um, whisper secrets to the wind, my baby doesn't love me anymore. And why did I like that record? Why did I, I didn't, I, I did, li- did like the record, but it, what, I needed to listen to it because... I'd just been chucked by my girlfriend. I'd been to the theatre, to which was now a cinema, which was then a cinema, had been a theatre, and uh, she was supposed to turn up, uh, and she just stood me up on the steps of the... She never turned up. So I waited about an hour, thinking, well, she's got to be delayed, it can't be deliberate. When I realised it must have been deliberate, I walked all the way home, felt very sorry for myself, and the next day went out and bought Roy Orbison's It's Over... And I played it to death. Um, it's and- strange, isn't it, when you're sad that you don't just go and put on Twist and Shout. You, you, you go and find something to just, just wallow in that sadness, yeah, don't you? particularly when you're 15 years old, which is what I was then. Hmm. And, um, yeah, so, so, so I, it was really self-pity, effectively. Uh, but, but also, just while wallowing... Good bit of alliteration there. Whilst wallowing, you are learning all about the lyrics, how to construct lyrics, how to con- the, the wonder of how to use an orchestra on a pop record. That's strings, you know, obviously. So was there, aside from, you know, what, what, what you was, you know, buying from record stores and that, was there, was there music on at home growing up? There wasn't much music at home, no. Uh, my mum and dad spent most of, my, most of their time arguing about money. Uh, uh, no, I'm just I'm kidding, because they were lovely p- people and they were great parents. Uh, but th- there was a, quite a bit of arguing about, you know, my mum overspending the housekeeping. And not an awful lot of time sitting down listening to the radiogram, which, of course, is what it was in those days. Um, we used to listen to things like Sunday, uh, we'd have a family Sunday lunch and uh, we'd listen to the goons and Around the Horn. That was the era that I was brought up in. Yeah. And uh, the light programme had very little music. Uh, it, it had Saturday morning, um, I forget what it was called, uh, um, pop, a pop programme lasted an hour. Um, mm-hmm. Everyone will remember what it is except me and they're all screaming at the radios. Um, but, um, no, we didn't, I, I, you know, I met other households, I went to other households, and they, their mums and dads had sort of albums of um, thing, the shows, you know, th- th- like, uh, yeah. um, oh, My Fair Lady and stuff like that, or, or old jazz records. But we didn't have any of that. So I was more or less left to my own devices. Um, I mean, my dad did like, um, you know, we used to go out and, Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello HelloFresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. 
With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How did get 30, 30, how get 30, how get 20, 20, 20, how get 20, 20, how get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Get the stuff at, um, it would be a junk shop uh, or, a, or a boot fair or something. They didn't have boot fairs in those days, but whatever the equivalent was. And we'd get George Formby Records. I mentioned it in my other thing. And... Um, or any records. Uh, if, if by, I think more likely my dad bought an old gramophone and he liked doing things up. He was a great engineer. And, um, he, and he'd get some... Uh, there'd be a load of old records with it, either by Caruso or somebody I'd never heard of. But, and they all, a lot of them sounded terrible and some of them were great. And so that you'd get a mixed bag of those sort of things. I've sort of rambled off the point a little bit. I can't quite remember where I started out. Hello, I've interrupted the podcast again, haven't I? Sorry, it won't take a sec. All I want to say is, the songs that we're talking about in this podcast, if we can't play them, it's just because of the regulations regarding playing licensed music and such. So, if you want to hear the songs, just go over to Spotify and search off the beat and track podcast and you can listen to all the songs because i put playlists up for each of these if you can't find it on there i'll send links on all the social media accompanying each episode so you've just got to press that one button and you can go through and you can enjoy all the songs that our guest picks anyway i'll shut up get back to the podcast see you on the other side uh, no, I was just asking about um being you know how you was exposed to music at a young age was there music on at home and such yeah that's right no, not really. And um, you know what? Even though I started playing the piano because my dad bought an old piano, an old upright piano. We weren't poor, I mean, but we weren't rich. I mean, you know, my dad was a, a young engineer, uh, a, a civil engineer, uh, and my mum was an art teacher. So, you know, we lived in a house that wasn't too bad, um, and but it wasn't that big, and we didn't. You couldn't all have shoes at the same time. You had to wait in rotation, you know, four kids. So it was, you know, always always a little bit tight for, for cash. And so we didn't have time that much for money for luxuries. But um, my dad did buy this old piano and he basically did up the woodwork of it because he liked doing woodwork. And, I, and he used to play three songs that he'd learned to play, but only on the black keys. And it wasn't... It was it was proper pub piano. It was I can't, I can't I could never ever do it 
on, I'll see if I can on D. He used to play in things like D flat and F sharp. Um, uh, things like that sort of thing. That style, and I thought, wow, you know, because uh, he wasn't a musical sort of guy. I'm sure it, there must have been a musicality lurking there. There certainly was. Uh, he didn't purport to be a musician. I thought I've got I've got to learn to play the piano. So I started listening to things and picking out tunes. Oh, that's how that goes, and that's how that goes. Listening to records. And then I, somebody taught me to play a kid at school called Kazak Nowakowski uh, from Poland. Taught me how to play the accordion, because he had an accordion. And um, once I'd learnt that, which had buttons on the left hand, so you, that, you could play a whole chord with just one button. So one button would give you... That's the C chord, or G, that... So that's why you get a lot of on on accordion music because they're yeah. just using the buttons, and uh, and I thought, hang on, if I could actually make those chords with three fingers on the left hand, I'd have made, I'd learn how to play left hand. So that's how I, yeah. how, I how I taught myself. So there wasn't any pressure coming at me from my parents to learn or listen to music at all, really. Wonderful. Mm. For track three, Mike. The song reminds you of your time at school. See, I've forgotten all these bloody answers that I wrote you. Um, well, you've... You um, chop out remarks like that, I'll just keep them in. No, we'll leave it all in. Hmm. Um, so, uh, The Stones. Ah, yeah. Um, well, The Stones. Uh, well, it, yeah, early Stones, because in those days... Oh, sorry, it wasn't, it wasn't. Sorry, I'm looking at the, the, the wrong Hendrix? one, but I guess it's a, it, was, um, it was another rock and roll giant. It was the, you, you chose um, the, who, the Who, gen- uh, my generation. The Who, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, mm. all of those things were coming out at the same time. I mean, oh, yeah, that was about the party thing, wasn't it? I'm going to mm. find this. I'm going to look on my, uh, <coughs> on my sent items and see if I can find that blinking thing I sent you, which has got some of these answers on. Um, are, we te- are we allowed to tell the listeners that we that i've already pre-answered some of these so yeah know. yeah they, they know the drill yeah, they know the drill okay. um i can't find it though um uh you, you might have to tell me them each time that's anyway, fine so, that's so anyway, fine where were we uh we were talking about the who and, I, and, I, and i'm really curious to know um i i, I mean I, I'm, I'm just a little bit too young to have missed the, the sort of punk movement yeah but you know, in, 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 in late seventies, but I'd love to have known how to being at school when you said it, it probably hit was a hit when you were, say sixteen. I mean, my generation to a sixteen year old, I mean that's that's like literally lighting dynamite. I mean how how I mean that was such a, a dangerous and confrontational record, you know, for its time. Like, did it? Did how, how did that feel as as a young lad hearing like my generation? Well, I've got to tell you that part of it was just musical. Part of it was just this surprisingly energetic new band that were sounded slightly angry, but it, yeah. it and that that the oddness of the generation that was brave doing that. I mean, why would you put a stammer on a record? And 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 my mate, uh, my pal, who is in the lower firm form. What am I doing with my words today? The form lower than me. So he was a. Let's say when I was fifteen, he was fourteen. His name was Andy Renton. He played drums. So no, I must have been fifteen. We were either fifteen and fourteen or sixteen and fifteen, respectively. He was a mad drummer. 
really fast drummer and he modelled his style on Keith Moon. And so we went out as a duo, um, me on very, very loud organ, a Watkins Telstar organ and, and vocals, and him on drums going mad. Uh, and we used to see local sort of nurses' uh, 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 dances at the hospital and things like that. But uh, it was very, very loud, and, and, and uh, we did mostly stuff like uh, early stones and uh, anything that was in the charts... Um, and that was my sort of um, first blood, really, uh, getting into bands. But um, did you did you enjoy school, Mike? I did enjoy it, yeah. Uh, but the, the, no, bits of bits of school I didn't. I hated maths, which uh, you, you just you tend to like the things you're good at. And I was sh- just shit at maths. You know, which you, you you was very creative, I imagine. Well, yeah, I was. Very musical. Um, I played the organ at school. I, was, I went to one of these grammar schools that had been a public school when my dad... No, my dad... It was a, what they call a grant-aided ex-public school. Uh, so it was... It, it was a great... It, just, it, was, just, it was a state school, um, but it thought it was a bit up itself. You know, it was slightly posh. We wore boaters, you know, so it was, and it was in Winchester, so it was near Winchester College. No, we weren't Winchester College boys, but we were Peter Simmons. Uh, why am I telling you that? Because it was sort of slightly middle class. And um, Was that creativeness, like that, that creative um, musical uh, passion you had, was that encouraged at school? It, well, it was encouraged, certainly by my mates, and uh, people, but the, the, the music master was completely... He was, he was very passionate about music and he knew he could recognise in me that I had something special that, that, if you like, made me stand out from the crowd. There weren't that many people that were into music. Uh, there was... And he was very much into his classical music and, and even though when we went, got to A-level sta- uh, states, uh, I was the only person who chose to do music A-level. So I had a one-on-one relationship with my music master and I had something like five or six periods of music a week. And, and we spent most of those t- uh, times just talking about me trying to persuade him that the Beatles were good and him saying they were, <laughs> him saying they were complete rubbish and I should listen to Wagner, which I did anyway, you know, so yeah. I have a problem with that. But when it came to the exam... Uh, about three or four months before the exam, I said to him, isn't there supposed to be some sort of syllabus? He said, oh, yeah, there's some set works. Here they are. He hadn't even shown me. I'd had nearly two years to, to do it. He hadn't shown me what the set works were. So I suddenly had to study Bach's Suite Number no. 2 in B minor and Wagner's Siegfried Idol and learn all about them, enough to try and pass an exam. And, of course, consequently, I only got an E at, at, at that music. And... Um, it was similar in the art department because the um, the art master was a bit a bit into his own art and not so much the right kind of art. Anyway, I wasn't the right artist to be in his sort of um, care, really. And so uh, I would I will, without any embarrassment, say I was the best musician and the best artist in my in my school, but I still got grade E at A level in both those subjects. But in English, I got an A, and that's because I loved English, 
and I had a yeah. really great teacher. And so they, we, they taught us Chaucer, creative writing, all that stuff. I used to lap it up. What, what, what did you want to be when you was at school? Uh, I, had, I think I had about three options narrowed down by the time I was nearly ready to leave. Uh, one of them, I was always very keen on being in the school cadet force. and I was the sergeant major in charge of the school cadet force, which was the biggest school cadet force in Hampshire. And um, so I was CSM back, and I went on all these um, courses and uh, officer training courses and things. So I, one, of the, one of the options was to join the army and go and learn how to kill people. Uh, one of them was to um, be a songwriter and singer, which was not an option, really. It's just you never thought you could ever do that. And uh, the third one was um, oh, to do art and be an animator. Well, I couldn't go into the... I wa again, I was very competitive, and I wanted to go straight in at officer level if I was going to go into the army, go to Sandhurst. But I also wanted to do music. You couldn't do music if you wanted to be an officer. You had to go in, as my cousin did, as, as a, yeah. a squaddy, as a junior soldier, clarinetist, and, and work your way up. And the highest rank you could ever get to would be lieutenant colonel. That's even if you were the most senior musical officer in the British Army. And, I, you know, I wanted to be a general if I joined up, you know. I was very, very ambitious. So, unfortunately, that meant I couldn't do what I really wanted to do, which was join the bands and be, be a... And I wanted to conduct straight away. Uh, I didn't want to wait until 20 years till I passed my uh, PSM, as they call it, in the, in the Army. Yeah. Um, and, and yet... Friends of mine who did join the army as musicians have had fabulous careers because maybe yeah. they weren't so fixated on being senior, um, mm. you know, and being, uh, being the boss. I, I wanted to be conducting. I wanted to write my own music and conduct it. Mm. But I did learn to arrange and uh, taught myself, really, to do all that. And years later, I was, able to, I was invited to work with military bands as a guest composer conductor which was great because often it meant a commission for something royal like a uh, you know the queen's 50th wedding anniversary something like that at the royal tournament so that was fabulous I, that did parachute me in into the higher higher end of yeah. of, 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 of of the activity that was yeah fun got there in the end in a roundabouts way i got myself into it but because i i was passionate about doing it and i love writing for military bands i mean i if somebody walked in the door now and said, let's do a military band album, I'd be, yeah, I'll drop what I'm doing now and let's do that. But yeah. then I would be the same if they said, let's do, let's do an album with a uh, punk rock band or something. No, I'm like, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm just a girl who can't say no, really. You know, anybody offers me a job, I'm an, I'm a, I'm the eternal freelance. You know, just take it. So... What was the first record you remember buying, Mike? The first record I ever bought in a record shop uh, mm. was in Whitwam's music shop in Winchester, and it was Island of Dreams by the Springfields. See, I'd never heard that before, and when, when you sent them over, um, th th this was one of two that I hadn't heard before, so uh, I, w I went and listened to it. And, uh, I bet you thought yeah, it was cheesy, you... didn't you? I, I did think it was a little bit cheesy, yeah, I'm not yeah. going to lie. Yeah. Right. No, at, um, at the time, it was just, I didn't think, cheesiness didn't exist in those days. It, it, a record was a record, you know. Um, 
And this was only two years from me getting excited uh, about um, The Who, you know, with my generation. Um, mm. and, and just to complete my answer on that uh, my generation thing, I, no, I wasn't ang socially angry. You know, I, I, I was, we, we, we were, you know, we did have shoes and we lived in a reasonably nice house. And, mm. and we, uh, but, but I was musically intrigued and, and the energy that came from the record was fantastic. Um, it's the energy, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Um, but with, with um, Island of Dreams, it was just, it was the craftsmanship of the making of it, the writing, the, Ivor Raymond, I think, was the orchestrator, the producer, a very clever guy, um, who also, I think, produced Cat Stevens' first album. Oh, really? Yeah, and in Cat Stevens' opinion, over-orchestrated it, and Cat, uh, or um, Yusuf, um, apparently always says that he thinks that was one of, well, at least at the time, he felt that album was um, a bit twee because it was over-orchestrated and uh, he'd like to, it to have been more him, which is further ones like Catch Bullet 4 and all the other ones, uh, T for Pillerman. Sorry, I've I'm, gone off tangent, haven't I? It's but fine. Then, I'm, I'm really interested. I want to go back to something that you, 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 you touched on there about um, the arrangement and such. Um, even at a young age, was you deconstructing records when you listened to them and trying to kind of understand how they were put together? Not consciously, but unconsciously I certainly was. I was maybe I was consciously. Um, I mean, yes, that is slightly, you know, looking, comparing it to today's music, Island of Dreams is a cheesy sing-along you almost expect it to be on the black and white minstrels, you know. Um, and of course, we all, we, have got, we all got other different thoughts about the black and white minstrels. But I'm just talking about the, you know, the sort of sing-along kind of middle of the road thing. musical style, yeah. Yeah, but it was country as well. There was a slight country tinge to it uh, that the Springfields had, and of course, Dusty Springfield's voice was a killer voice even then. Oh. You know, so that that stuck out. And I don't talking about whether I used to take records apart. Yes, I did. I mean, when Satisfaction by the Stones came out, because the great thing about being my age now is that when all this was happening in the 60s, I was 12, 13, 14, 15, 16. So all these records were coming out. The Beatles, I, I was there the, the day the, each single came out and we would grab it and listen to it and compare it to the previous one and say what shit it was until like the second or third time we heard it or the fifth day we heard it when suddenly it was the best one they'd ever done of course. you know that was so exciting just being around all that well that that brings us on nicely to to, to the next question while i was talking about the stones because I, I did ask you to um uh talk about the the, the song that soundtrack your years going to clubs and stuff and and and, and you've mentioned that you weren't a, you weren't a big big fan of clubbing no well i still aren't, i still aren't i still amant there must be a word for singular of amant. There must be a word like that. But I'm not. Yeah. We, we, I, I like amant. We go with that. I still am not. Uh, <laughs> no, I, I go to um, a club and I think, why am I here? I can't even hear the person. I'm, I, you know, I'm shouting in someone's ear hole and they're shouting in mine and it hurts because it's too loud. Them shouting. Yeah. And I don't want to stand in in a in a room full of loud music shouting into people's ears. So yeah. so I, um, so I'm not really a clubber. 
Never have been. But, um, I mean, hey, I'm, I'll stand on stage and play music as loud as you like, as long as you like. But actually, yeah. being on the receiving end of it isn't my favourite thing. I always even put uh, cotton wool into my ears when I go to the theatre because there's somebody going to put too much middle frequency into that and turn it up too loud, and it's going to do my ears in for a couple of uh, yeah. uh, days. You know. So anyway, meanwhile, back at clubbing, uh, the nearest to clubbing that I ever got was when, when I was uh, of the sort of mating age, uh, uh, starting to get girlfriends <laughs> and things, uh, about 16, 17. Uh, I've never heard it called that before. No, I've never said it before either. <laughs> but, um, Great name for an album. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, we used to go to parties. Someone would throw a party in their parents' house. Parents would go out for the evening or go away for the weekend, whatever, and we'd all take bottles and there'd be bread and cheese, you know, there and you'd, you know, dance for a while and then end up all lying on the floor snogging, you know. Um, and um, uh, that's how we got, sort of got to know people <laughs> of the opposite sex, you know. And um, But you would take your own records as well, just as you'd take, bring a bottle, you'd take a record. And in those days, you know... Early on, it would be maybe an early Stones record. Um, and the thing about it, which a lot of people will identify with if they're of the same vintage as me, you used to write your name on the back of it, every album. Uh, usually at the top right in, in Biro. I can't, you know, and I've, got all the, I've still got loads of records with Mike Bat written on the top in the right-hand corner because you wanted to make sure that... Um, you took your records home at the end of the evening, and of it, course. if you left them behind, people know who's the, knew whose it was. Um, or if you lent them to someone, they knew who to give it back to. But uh, no, the, the Stones, were, the early Stones, uh, stuff like Little Red Rooster and um, uh, just all that sort of white boys playing black music, really. Uh, yeah. Which is what yeah. we were doing. Uh, and I mean, people are still, that's still happening now in what they call R&B now. Mm. But what was called R&B then was a kind of country uh, version of... Uh, well, it was what Chuck Berry was doing, really. And the mm. Beatles would just chuck... The, the Beatles pretty much played Chuck Berry and uh, Buddy Holly covers at the beginning. And it was only sort of... Uh, well, yeah, there was some... Of course, there was some songwriting from the beginning, but most of it was covers until they found their identity in the, on the, about the second album. So, um, yeah, the Stones and the Beatles were both covering Chuck Berry, which was R&B. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So that would be my... That would be the the soundtrack to my, quote, clubbing, unquote, years, which were actually my mating years. (laughs) That's a great compilation album, that is. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> perhaps meeting is a better word um, yeah meeting formation. um okay well look, while we're talking about um those those kind of um early to mid 60s beat combos um favorite song from your home county um there's another great great band in there can you remember what you chose for this one yeah well i think i went for for two i uh um I, I never, ever really thought, oh, yeah, this band's from my county, therefore I love them more, like you would have the football team. Yeah. Um, but certainly the Trogs hit me like a ton of bricks when they first came out with um, 
uh, um, Wild Thing. Wild Thing. Wild Thing. You make my heart sing. Which, of course, wasn't their song. They were covering an American mm. record. Um, but All Day and All of My... Oh, no, that's the, that's the Kinks. All Day and All of My Life. Da, 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 da. They, were, they were going both at the same time. They both came at us from the same... I think they were both managed by Larry Page as well. Both, both them songs, you know, whether it be You Really Got Me um, or Wild Thing, both got very abrasive sounding guitars and and yeah. and they, they, they sound that they're, they're aggy sounding records aren't they yeah, which, they're, uh, yeah. but funny enough you say uh, you know you pointed out that the angry record uh, of, of of the who was also something which attracted me so i must have been really attracted to this sort mm. of like and so as most most kids were at that time because why would they if they didn't get in the charts they you know Something must have got them in the charts, and there must have been something. Mm. There must have been a lot of other people like me who liked them, is what I'm saying. Um, funny enough, mm. both bands kind of softened down a bit as they got more famous. Um, the Kinks definitely did, uh, with Ray uh, Ray's sort of songwriting became more uh, dedicated follower of fashion and uh, Waterloo Sunset, which was nothing like da 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 da, you know, but. Um, uh, and Reg Presley, you know, I feel it in my fingers, I feel mm. it in my toes. You know, nice song, but it's not the same as that aggressive stuff they started out with. Completely, mm. completely. But I'm sure, uh, I reckon Love Is All Around probably paid off the mortgage, that one. I'm sure it did. Uh, well, it, it also paid off his next mortgage because it came back, <laughs> didn't it, about 20 or 30 years later. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah the wet, wet, wet cover that was number one for God knows how long. Yeah. And uh, I don't know if you ever heard, but REM do a, a beautiful cover of that as well. Really? I haven't heard it's that. Re- it's a really good cover, yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, and you, you did go for two as well. Yeah, and there was another band, um, uh, the record Kites. Now, they didn't... Uh, that was Simon Dupree and the Big Sound, wasn't it? Um, mm-hmm. And... Uh, I just liked the record. da 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 okay. You know that that sort of India, uh, sort of like an Eastern. Anyway, if you don't know the re- anyone who doesn't know the record listening to this po- podcast must think I'm balmy, but um, <laughs> and they probably got it right. I just like. The- well, we put together a Spotify playlist, Mike, of all these songs, so people can go over and listen to oh, them as great. well. Yeah, well, uh, Kites is uh, it's just a great song uh, and a lovely atmosphere, wonderful atmosphere. And they, Simon Dupree and the Big Sound, uh, they used to um, do the, the clubs and uh, venues uh, around uh, Southampton and Portsmouth uh, when I was the age that one would listen. Um, most of the live listening I used to do, in fact, pretty much all of it, or certainly most of it, would be down at Southampton Civic Centre, I remember seeing Jimi Hendrix there live. That was thrilling. Uh, I saw The Who. No, not no, not The Who. Um, I did see The Who live at a festival a couple of years later, Plumpton Festival. But uh, I saw um, The Move. Uh, that's the first time I was ever aware of Roy Wood. Who's, who, you know, that was when Ace Kefford was in the band and they were having their first mm. hits. Um, 
uh, all at Southampton Civic Centre during my mating years. Um, and it's weird for people that, that only know Roy Wood from, you know, seeing him in, in, in videos, you know, at Christmas time. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Roy Wood in the move was a cool guy, wasn't very he? Very cool, very, very talented. And I worked with him a bit later. He did the most stupid record ever possible. And we t- intended to as well. I called uh, I Wish It Could Be a Wombling Merry Christmas Every Day. I'll see what you've done there. <laughs> yeah. We tried to get Noddy Holder in so we could call it... We wish it could be an It's Christmas, Wombling Merry Christmas, It's Christmas Every Day or something like that. But Noddy was having none of it. Uh, and rightly so as well. Cause, um, anyway, I, I like Roy. And, but I, I remember that time I was a school... Uh, I was probably in the sixth form. And he was uh, out there being a pop star. And he was the coolest guy in the... It was a guy, yeah, say this, Ace Kefford guy with blonde hair. And their records were, were really good and uh, instructive, you know, and uh, aspirational. Yeah. Well, for your last track, Mike, um, I ask you to tell me a song that many may not know that you would like them to hear. Bloody hell, what did I say? You went for Fifth Dimension. Oh, right, yeah. Now, this isn't, again, you know, if you thought Island of Dreams was cheesy, which it is, in a lovely way, um, someone, if anyone's into their sort of heavy rock and roll or their their punky pop, they might not see this as... But it's beautifully constructed. It's a... I came across it when I was about 18 or 19 when it first came out. Uh, Jim Webb, uh, Jimmy Webb, who was a couple of years older than me, but I sort of wanted to be him. He was, uh, you know, because he orchestrated his own stuff, he did his own uh, arranging lyrics, uh, everything produced, and, and I sort of saw myself as a sort of junior version of him. And uh, did you, have, you, have you ever met Jimmy Webb? I have, actually, yeah. Um, in more recent years, in the, in the last ten years, we've bumped into each other a few times once through Garfunkel and once only last year uh, and also I've, kept, I've sometimes emailed him stuff I did a version of um, one of his songs um, uh, uh, the cake out in the rain one um, um, uh, MacArthur Park yeah uh, with Justin Hayward and the LPO and I sent him a I sent Jimmy a copy of it. He was very politely effusive um, uh, about it. Um, and uh, so, yeah, I do vaguely know him. Uh, but at the, in those days, I was just watching from afar and seeing somebody vaguely my age doing absolutely what I wanted to do, which was to, you know, be... But, of course, he was very big in the States, and I... I, I, um, I, I, I I was um, working in a, in a smaller um, area, which is the UK. And so you, uh, you didn't have quite the same impact if, if, unless, sure. unless you were working out of the States. But uh, nevertheless, um, he, he was a bit of a, bit of a role model for me. And he, he made a beautiful album called uh, Magic Garden with a band called Fifth Dimension. Uh, they were a soul kind of band. Uh, the only track on the album that isn't written by Jimmy Webb is one, is, is um, Ticket to Ride. They do a great version of Ticket to Ride, and he, he does an absolutely uh, textbook 
um, beautiful, how can he be textbook and original? Uh, but he was. Um, arrangement for a 20-year-old, uh, brass arrangement for that. It was absolutely fabulous. Um, but anyway, moving away from that, the reason I like this um, song is... Um, the song is... Um, Oh, it, it, it's um, da, 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 da. um. You'll have to prompt me with the title of the song. What is it? Uh, the worst that could happen. The worst that could happen. Yeah, it's it's a. Uh, first of all, the album is going back to that thing of designing an album from the beginning to the end. Interrupted only by Ticket to Ride, which shouldn't really be on the album. You know. It's just a great track. It shouldn't be on the album because it's it, it's not. It doesn't fit in with the mountain range of the whole thing. But um, he he would do little stringy intros and little vocal lines that really weren't songs. They were just parts of songs that would lead you into the next key, and then it, suddenly there'd be a change of tempo. And it, sure. it's all designed to be to be a piece of audio theatre, really. And anyway, you suddenly sink down into this wonderful song, beautifully constructed song. And it's a guy saying congratulations on getting married to his, one of his girl, girlfriend that he didn't get married to, that he didn't want to stay with. And she's getting married and now he's regretting it. And he's saying it's the best thing that could happen for you, but it's the worst thing that could happen for me because he's, you know, he's still, still, um, of course, yeah. still loves her. And it's just beautifully constructed um, song. The lyrics are fantastic. Um, uh, so, so that's that's it really. I mean, it's to say it's not the sort of thing you'd put on to um, race down the motorway. Um, not that anyone should race down motorways, <laughs> but uh, it's it's a great song. Anyone interested in songwriting, um, try and find it. It'll be on Spotify. Uh, the worst that could happen. And it's on right now. And this is this is the same. Is this the same fifth dimension that done Aquarius? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. And they and also another track. Again, it was Jim Webb. Uh, and some of the tracks are slightly a bit too. Dare I say MOR? Because um, people think of me as MOR, and when I say I don't like being talked about as MOR, my publicist once said to me, "Ah, oh, but that you're most of the road, not middle of the road." And so I thought I'd take that as some sort of consolation. But um, <laughs> I thought Up, Up and Away, which is a Jimmy Webb song, just a little bit too light and an M-O-R-E fairy dust for me. But it is a wonderfully written song. Up, up and away in my beautiful... My be and all of the harmonies that they did. And, and dunk, 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 dunk. It was just the time for it. It was the flower power yeah. era. It was a whole different... That's why I mean about you thinking, as I predicted, that Island of Dreams is cheesy. We, everyone thought differently at every different time. So if you were going through the flower power era of 1968-69 and someone played you up, up and away, it fitted in with all the flowers and the, the love of course, yeah. and everything, you know. So that's on it. But, um, uh, yeah, just this song, uh, The Worst That Could Happen, is just... Uh, it's a it's an object lesson in how to write a song and how to okay. sing as well. Well it's, well, it's on the it'll be on the Spotify playlist, so um, I urge people to go and, uh, and, and and listen to that. Um, as we start to um, 
wind it up, Mike. Yeah. Um, we, we should talk a little bit about um, uh, the, the fact you've got new music out. Oh. You've got a, a compilation out on the 8th of May, is it? Yeah, well, it's digitally coming out on the 8th of May. It's a, t- it's a two... I mean, two CDs. How can two CDs come out digitally? But it is. It's the <laughs> contents of two CDs. Uh, sure. And they're physically coming out on June the 26th, I think. Uh, and people can pre-order it anyway. Uh, and I think we might be going to do a signed uh, limited edition that gets uh, released before that. But then, yes, it's, it's out soon. Um, and um, what it is, it's a sort of retrospective, like a greatest hits, but some of the hits are where I've re-recorded, for example, Bright Eyes, which was, wasn't a hit for me, but I, ha- I had recorded it myself some years ago. Anyway, I re-recorded it on an album called um, A Songwriter's Tale, which did quite well about eight years ago, something like that. It was top 30. I think it was top number 24 in the charts. Um, not bad for a, a junior version of an old git. Um, <laughs> uh, and so have you, have you done Winter's Tale as well? Winter's um, Tale's you, on you, it, yeah. But the, also what I've done, the reason it's such a long album with 36 tracks is that... Um, uh, it, 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 it explores other tracks. It, 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 uh, it includes tracks that weren't necessarily hit. So it will have Bright Eyes, A Winter's Tale, I Feel Like Buddy Holly. But then there's tracks that were hit in everywhere except the UK, um, like Germany, Holland, Australia. Uh, like uh, there's a track called The Ride to Agadir, which I almost guarantee you've never heard of. Uh, but it was massive in those other countries so as this album will have an appeal in those other countries i've put them on so some people uh, and there's another one called lady of the dawn which was very very big in holland i did an interview this morning and i was talking and the first thing they wanted to talk about was lady of the dawn which is probably my biggest hit in holland so it's a it's a mixture in some countries i've just got this image of however few fans i've got or however many fans i've got they open the record and they put it on or they get it from Spotify, whatever. And some of them will be going, why is that on a Greatest Hits album? This thing called the what, Ride to Agadir, I've never heard of it. Whereas other people will, would, if it went out in Germany without the Ride to Agadir on it, they'd be thinking, flipping heck, or whatever the German is for that. Sure. Why isn't the Ride to Agadir on it? So it's, a quite, it's yeah. quite an interesting listen, if anyone's bothered to listen to it. Um, uh, as an album uh, or it, dip in and out of it because also there's stuff on it that people wouldn't a lot of people when you do an album you th- they might take a single off it um which might be a ballad let's say lady of the dawn for example the one you've never heard of probably um that was a massive hit but it's a ballad but on that same album there are a lot of very frantic guitar-based uh, tracks, some of them which are instrumental, some of which are vocal, and so some of those tracks have been taken out, um, and some more experimental, rather more avant-garde type of tracks, and they're they're on the second disc. So, uh, and also things that, I've, for example, I thought too cheesy ever to release again, like my hit that I had in England, uh, the only hit I had as a solo artist in England, proper hit was uh, Summertime City, which was uh, the theme to Seaside Special in 1975. It went to number four. And 
I see myself on uh, YouTube now, leaping up and down with my flared trousers and surrounded by pants people. And actually, I think it looks rather cool now in, in retrospect. In, at the time when, when YouTube was invented, I thought, oh, my God, they're going <laughs> to find that film sometime and I'm going to be so embarrassed. Uh, yeah. But when they did find it and put it up there, I was quite, quite pleased. So there's, there's a few sort of cheesy old things and a few rather edgy things that people wouldn't expect from me. And there's a few well-known hits on it. Wonderful. And so if people, um, people will be able to stream that on, on, on Spotify and all, the, all their usual places as well. They will. Yeah. Um, uh, and, and if people want to um, find out more about what you're up to and, and interact, you say every Wednesday night on Facebook at the moment? Uh, uh, yeah, I'm doing every Wednesday, uh, although this week... Uh, I don't know when this is going out. This what? This will probably be out in maybe about two weeks from yeah, now. Yeah, so it will have happened. Um, so two weeks ago, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, I did it on May the 4th because I had a concert at Bush Hall uh, on May the 4th and it was cancelled because of the virus. Oh, of so I'm doing, I, So I, I'm going to or will have done that concert uh, as a live to air sort of thing from home, just like I'm talking to you oh, now. Oh, wonderful. Just to... Just, just, to make up, make it up, and to try and raise funds for the um, for the hall because they're endangered. A lot of these halls, like Bush Hall, there's only like a 400 seater. They're very much in danger of uh, going under unless they get funds raised for them. So there's an effort. There, there is an effort to try to keep that part of the infrastructure there because the what do you call it the um, uh, the yeah the the whole um, oh, I've lost the, the vocabulary uh, that I need to express it. But what are you talking about? Like the hospitality? No, uh, the, sector. you, have to, you um, have to have the small venues in order to breed the bands to then go on to the bigger venues. Of so, course, yeah. So it's a whole hierarchy. Uh, uh, and if you take one layer out, so there aren't any small music ben- venues, let's say there's only pubs and then there's Hammersmith Odeon, you're screwed because you haven't got. T- anywhere to go and see Amy Winehouse when she could only pull three or four hundred people. And um, There's nowhere for bands to grow. No, exactly. And so that's why there's a national drive now uh, to, um, to help them. Uh, and there's things like Just Giving sites. Trouble is with all these Just Giving ra- fundraising sites is that nobody's got any money, of course, because we're all tightening our belts because it's uh, lockdown and uh, some people haven't got jobs. Mike, I... I run a 600 capacity live venue in Essex, and uh, yeah, it's currently sitting there empty, yeah. with barrels and barrels of beer well, sitting there going out a day. Yeah, you must be hurting just. As much exactly as what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Well, good luck with that. I uh, hope it all comes right. It'll be all right. I'm sure it'll be all right. Um, and uh, website. Where can people find out about what okay, you're up to? So my website's an easy one to remember. It's mikebat.com. That's quite with straightforward. A, with three W's in front of it. Um, yep. None of which stand for Womble. Um, uh, my, my, uh, okay, let's see, work it out. The, the Twitter is quite easy. That's at Mike underscore Bat. Um, mm-hmm. The uh, Insta is Bat underscore Mike. <laughs> and uh, what else is there? Uh, oh, yeah, uh, the... Um, these concerts and things I'm doing, which are usually on a Wednesday at nine o'clock, they're, gonna, they're on my uh, Facebook page, which is uh, Mike Bat Music. That Mike Bat Wonderful. Music. Wonderful. 
Well, we'll tag you in all of these things when this comes out on all the different social uh, media platforms so people can go and explore. And we'll obviously add um, some of your music to the uh, Spotify playlist and all of the songs that you spoke about to that playlist so people um, that are, are already on board with Mike can go and enjoy it again and those that um, are new to, to what you do can go and explore it for the first time as well. Great. Well, it's been a fun lovely. chat. So thanks for thinking it's about it. It's been me. lovely. And, uh, Thank you ever so much for your time, Mike. Yeah, and I hope everyone, you know enjoyed it a little bit and um i certainly did so thanks for your time too wonderful thank you there you go i never thought i would do an episode of this podcast where somebody's sitting at a piano playing snippets of the songs that they're talking about what an absolute joy um super smashing fella um was mike really kind of him to give up his time to to do this podcast thanks ever so much to asha for arranging that as well um and yeah as i said at the beginning please go and explore the back catalogue if this is the first episode you've ever listened to and even if you've listened to a few go and have a route around in the archive because there is a stack of cracking episodes to be heard i'll see you next week stay safe and uh yeah thanks again for listening bye-bye oh yeah sorry i've butted in yet again i just want to quickly tell you about this magazine it's called pod bible now pod bible is the new essential guide to podcasts it's put together alongside spotify and acast and it's a one-stop shop to tell you all about the podcasts you maybe know about but definitely about a lot of the podcasts that you probably don't know about that we think you should know about i mean in the first edition there's interviews with adam buxton interviews with craig parkinson um, there's features on Jade Adams and there's just an abundance of information about so many exciting podcasts that are out there. Also, Spotify have given us these amazing little codes. So if you do get a print copy, you can just turn on your Spotify on your phone, scan the little code and it just automatically opens up the podcast on your listening device. How good's that? If you haven't managed to get a print copy, then just go over to www.podbiblemag.com and read it online because the digital version is all over there and it's all free. So every other month there'll be a new edition out. So go and have a look and support us on the social medias as well. Podbiblemag.com It's off the Beat and Track podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. With me, Stu Whipping. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian-developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health 
right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mm. 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 Mm